0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the Conversation Hour.
0: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
1: So the AFL draft is on Monday, but does being drafted to the AFL require you to go to a private school? Do private schools have better access and support to AFL draft? But just in general... Does your child have a better sporting chance depending on the school that they go to, whether it be the facilities or how and where recruiters search? What pressure is put onto families to either move schools or get a scholarship? How does that impact regional kids?' And that class-driven question of where did you go to school has never been more apparent when it comes to sport. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Paul Kennedy, of course, sports reporter for the ABC. PK, can you still be drafted or picked up as an elite sports person if you go to Eagle Hawk Secondary College or (laughs) Frankston High?
2: Yes, you can. Absolutely. I mean, the AFL draft, uh, we'll be talking about all of these kids and they'll be you mentioning what schools they go to, no doubt. We hear it when we watch the footy. Our commentators will say, oh, you know, they're from such and such school. And and uh, so they, th- these private schools get mentioned. However, if you're going to mount an argument that you need to go to a private school to, to get into the AFL um, – then you'll have to ignore Harley Reid, who's the number one pick, who comes from Tongala and uh, hasn't been um, convinced that he needs to go into... Yeah, but
1: if you're number one, right, yeah. if you're the best of the best, and the cream will always rise to the top, but yeah. not everyone is number one draft no, pick. No. There's a lot of other players going around. So if you're that mid-tier, solid... Professional, but never going to be at the top, yep. do you need to go to a private school?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, st- I still say no, but uh, there is that real pressure on um, that we, we all hear about. And um, yeah, Melbourne's a, Melbourne is a funny place. I still remember a, a mate of mine moved down from Queensland and he was uh, in his late 20s and he walked up to me and he said, uh, you know, I'm really enjoying Melbourne. Why do people kept asking me what school I went to? I'm 28 years old. So it's a thing, and if you've been in Melbourne for any length of time, that question get asked, gets asked. But recently what we've seen mm. is this uh, compelling argument from uh, private schools that um, you will need to, you know, get into our facilities, we will produce, you know, you've heard that term, and the footy media gobbles this up. You know, they, they write stories about oh, X school is a footy factory um, without really going into the fact that um, a lot of these schools get scholash- give scholarships to talented footballers who previously been at government schools. So there's now a little bit of data um, around that. Um, but, but to look at the number of kids from private schools would be ignoring that scholarship um, story. And, you know, I, I still believe that if you've got the right support, you yeah. can get to professional sport, be it football or anything else, um, without spending all that money or getting a half scholarship or even getting a full scholarship to go to those schools this is not me um you know tipping a bucket on those private schools their businesses and and i'm sure they run really successful sports programs and some kids will thrive in that environment but it's it's not for everyone and i say this by the way if if people are wondering uh i went to a government school and, uh, yes, didn't quite make it in the professional ranks, nothing to do with my schooling. Um, but, um, it's changed so much from, from my days. My kids go to government schools. However, I did coach a private school in football for five seasons. So I feel like I've got a really good handle of, of that, um, the private school model from a coaching perspective. I wasn't connected to the school in any other way, but. I enjoyed my time coaching, and the kids are great and all the rest of it, but, you know, if people are talking about an elite football program, well, I was the coach, you know, so I can understand um, those levels.
1: Does this mean we're going down that American path or maybe Mm. even a South African path where a sports scholarship is handed to you, schools really sort of mm. carry that as their flag and as what they do. Because we see that with basketball in America and all sorts of yeah. things or rugby, <laughs> you name it. It's not something that we've always done here. This is a new way and a new model that we've no. seen develop over the last, what, decade or so.
2: Yeah, I, I knew a really talented, the best junior sportsman I've ever seen. Uh, his name is John Giorgio, um, who played at St Kilda back in the day. And I remember he was at a school, private school, but they wouldn't let him play for St Kilda because he had school sport on. So he was, he wanted to get out of that school at that period of time. So it has changed. I'm sure we're, I'm sure we're um, following some sort of American uh, model of scholarships. Keep in mind for those people who don't know how it works, uh, if your child is good enough, say they go to a government school and they play in the Victorian under 12s competition or the Victorian under 15s competition, private schools watch those uh, competitions. And they say, that child will be really good for our school. Um, So then they might offer them a scholarship. But when you talk about scholarships, they're not all 100%. Some of them, they call them um, general excellence scholarships. And they might give the parents a a 30% discount, say, which is still a lot of money to pay. But you're on a partial scholarship and it opens some sort of door for you to go to that school. That is, I think, you know... we mentioned Harley Reid before being an outlier, perhaps an outlier, because mm. he's so good that um, he's been talked about as a number one to pick for a long time. But, Rochelle, you're right to mention those other kids and the pressure on the families for other kids. Okay, so my, my child is talented enough to get a, a part scholarship. You know, that's financial pressure. I still need to find fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 a year. Do I do it? And do I need to do it to give my son or daughter the best opportunity? Yeah. It's a tough decision, Uh I feel, for those people.
1: And a lot of what we'll cover today too is do then recruiters and drafters get lazy? Do they only start to look at certain schools and certain matches? How far afield are they going? What opportunities do regional kids have? And will we continue to see this rise in specific sports schools being created as well where kids might leave, you know, Year 7, Year 8 and go to a sports school like you would the VCA or like you would the Australian Ballet. Or whatever it may be, they're, we're seeing that within sports. They're as well. really
2: popular, and um, recent years I've seen that too. There's there's um, uh, one in the north uh, west and one in the in the east of Melbourne, where kids will go there, um, and they'll be you know they hear the pitch that this is a school, this will develop you into potentially a professional um, athlete. So so there is that as well. The, what, the other thing that I'll say really briefly is you know. At, at the risk of it being a pile-on of the system, you know, yes, this this, of this class system that we're, that um, you know people. Well, are, it is are a class time.
1: conversation, I, which I, is tricky.
2: I agree. So let's talk about um, let's talk about these public schools and government schools. And I'm a big public school advocate. But when I was going there in the 90s, we used to have several um, games of football and other sports against other schools. Um, now I watch my kids there. There is some good sporting programs within those schools but it's not very much and the footy day is like a lightning premiership against a couple of other schools if you don't win the lightning premiership that's it one day of inter-school football in melbourne in in our schools so um Inter-school sports has a bigger role to play. I hated inter-school sports. Did you? <laughs> I was a kid. That's because
1: I was crap at most <laughs> things, so that's different. But that's right. Inter-school sports is something that could be a huge opportunity. And if we're talking about yeah. recruiters coming along and being able to see who is rising to the top and who's got potential, then inter-school sports on a government, on a public level, I has would, a role to play. I would
2: love to see more of that. I loved it because it's the one time. I mean, the, the club system the, – the, the reason I say that you'll get founded, you'll get discovered eventually is we've got a club system. Um, unlike you know America, we've 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 got this club system. You go through, you eventually end up in the top under eighteen competition if it's football, and you will be discovered and promoted and coached and all the rest of it. But you know, playing with your mates at school, your best mates in the world because you spend all day every day with them, it's a really special thing. And if public school um, students aren't getting that opportunity, you know and that's something's that's, not quite working. That, that's missing, and you know it's it's healthy and it's great for mental health and all the rest of it. So things we all know.
1: So does your school have the sports facilities that your child needs if they want to play beyond school? Do you feel the pressure to send them to a private school?
0: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
1: This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Paul Kennedy with you this morning. As we look at the opportunities your kids has to go on and succeed dependent on the school that they go to? Do you feel like there is a difference between public and private? In particular with the AFL the draft is on Monday. Are we seeing just a private school draft? These texts, perhaps some former elite players could set up coaching business for state school kids. It's cheaper than sending them and the profit and the taxpayer gouges. That's from Judy in Geelong. And others saying some kids at private school play in high performance teams other than their schools. In Melbourne Victory for example, they act prefer players that don't have the destruction of compulsory school sport on mm. Saturdays. That's from Simon. Yeah,
2: there's always a clash and um, you, the AFL system I, we might be able to ask uh, Jack Nile about this too. Um, the, the, the private school system is sort of you know, at the start of the year, they get together with these AFL pathways and they work out the schedule so that the recruiters already. know where to go every Saturday.
1: Well, Jake Nile is the Chief AFL Writer for The Age. Jake, this is something that you're really passionate about and you've been quite vocal about for a long time now. Over the years, have you seen in particular the AFL draft become a public school draft? Uh, sorry, a private school draft? Well,
3: Rochelle, Paul, um, nice to talk to you. Just, uh, I wrote about this, uh, probably the main piece and the main time I looked at this was back in 2019. And in the 20, prior to the 2019 draft, I looked at the drafts of 2017 and 2018 in some detail. And I had um, Professor John Funder, actually, who is, uh, look, he's a distinguished medical researcher, but known to many people as the father of Anna Funder, the novelist. He looked at the makeup of the afl competition in 2019 basically every player and where they'd gone to school and the data was very interesting the the chances of making it and i wrote this in a long piece the age published and they got a lot of reaction not surprisingly and with the age readership demographics and there's um a lot of them are from private school backgrounds and then there's a lot of people who are quite anti-private schools among the, the you know the inner city there's there's kind of a not many people who don't have a dog in that fight of the people who read it and of course football which is huge in interest. So what it came out is that the draft of 20 I think 17 and 18 it was roughly a quarter of the players Rochelle Mm. had been drafted from 11 schools in Victoria that's just to put that in perspective that's a quarter of the whole draft had come out of the 11 APS that's associated public schools that's a misnomer they're the elite private schools that's Melbourne Grammar, Scotch, Haylebury, Caulfield Grammar, Geelong Grammar, Wesley, Carey, uh, Brighton Grammar, Geelong College, if I've missed one, Xavier. If I've missed missed one, and St. Kevin's. So they're the scores, and they supplied a quarter of the draft pool in those three years. The numbers, I'm not sure exactly they weren't that different in 2019. In 2019, the first two players picked the peg to... What I was looking at was that Kerry Grammer was providing the first two players picked in the draft to the Gold Coast Suns. That's Matthew Rowell and uh, Noah Anderson, who are both outstanding young players. And they were going up north to the Suns, who had been given an extra pick by the AFL. Mm. So what this opened up was the idea that why were these numbers? Because when I went to school, Rochelle, mm. the numbers of kids, and I went to these, a couple of these private schools, what? Why were the numbers? There were hardly any players coming from those backgrounds back then. And that led me, and I obviously had some assistance with the data that John Funder had collated. And I think Halebury at the time had the most players. They had 20 players on AFL lists. Now, the, the odds of getting in, what the conclusion was, was much higher from private school. But, of course, as Paul has gone through for you already, a lot of this is due to recruiting by the school. So there was a kind of a space race, And it seems as though this arms race, it's all pretty much happened gradually over the, since basically the early 2000s. And I remember speaking to um, Melbourne Grammar's former headmaster about it, and what had happened there is that Melbourne Grammar had played a game against Scotch. Of course, the first game of Australian rules football in the history of the code was played between those two schools in 1858. So are kids missing out then, do you think? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to tell because the players are being recruited from a variety of backgrounds to the private schools. I would say yes, though. I would say kids are missing out because there's going to be players developing at different stages and you're reliant, if you're in the state system, you're reliant completely on your club. So the club, the local club, if you're a local club and you're in the country town, say and your local club is not a good club, doesn't have good coaching, doesn't have a good pathway, then you might miss the boat and your talents in football may not be developed. Now, the private schools will recruit kids. They're very, very talented kids like Harley Reid. They'll always be potentially recruited. But really, the, the second part of this story isn't simply about what the private schools are getting. I don't think it should be an anti-private school discussion. Hmm. I think it's more about there's... What's happened not only with the private school recruiting, but what's happened to the state school? And I, yeah,
1: Yeah.
3: I, I think so. It's a two part story here, Rochelle. It's, it's when I went to school, and I went to a couple of these. Inverted commas, elite private schools. But
1: you're right in that it's not just about the private; it's about the public. And PK, that's sort of the the drum yep. that you're banging 100. Yeah. Well,
2: I, th- I think yeah, I think if we just jump on the private angle, then we're, we're forgetting about um, you know the, the changes that must have gone on in, in public schools to deny people more sporting opportunities. But uh, Jake, on a broad broad level I mean you say you're not quite sure I've as I said I've coached in private school um, you know I know very well that the public school system and the club system particularly in football um, but I still can't work out what is the great risk here for the AFL if it becomes a rugby model where where yes. there's too much emphasis on private school what's what's the risk for the the, the code um, for boys and girls
3: yeah, now the risk is that people don't play what you don't want is an NFL style system where the private schools become like the American colleges. Yeah. And so you have a college system for elite players and elite athletes are always going to end up in the system hmm. because the the other truth of modern sport at that school level, as you know, Paul is that sports, whether that's soccer, you know, round ball football, I, you know, what we call AFL now, Australian rules football, uh, indeed any sport cricket, tennis they're all in competition for first choice athletes yeah. and so the athletes also got a choice of what sport they play not simply what school they go to mm. yeah. they. but that's, that's not... all part of this and the afl is trying to get the best lot of first choice athletes if it goes too much into the rugby union model then you lose a lot of people um who are not as uh, from you know the 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 or the great mass of people
1: yeah, the city average city person city. and the average Every, school. Per, Absolutely. Average and that's, a guess... The,
3: or in the outer suburbs in particular. That's my be.
1: greatest fear, right? That all of a sudden sport and access to sport becomes a privilege and becomes elite when it is actually the thing that unites us and it is so important and everybody should have access. Jake Nile, as always, thank you so much for your time. Chief AFL writer for The Age. This text, my kids aren't super sporty but are academically strong. We're in the East. We're thrilled with our local government secondary schools. The kids... A talented. plus they work hard. That will drive them. I prefer not to have the pressure of crippling fees and hothousing kids to be elite or to be drafted. We have to have well-rounded, happy kids and local with their mates. That's from Caro, who's in Blackburn. And this is from Lynn PK. It says, I went to Hampton High School. Shane Warren went there until he received a sports scholarship to Mentone Grammar he in form, form 3. I love that they call it Form 3, by the way. That just makes my heart melt. <laughs> we also had the champion Ross Smith, we had a golfer, Bob Shearer, amongst other great sports people. That's from Lynn. But then a really interesting question here from Pauline, and it says, have you had a look at the background of most Olympians?
2: Hmm. Well, we will be speaking to an Olympian, um, one of the greats, uh, Kieran Perkins, who's now at the, the top of the tree it's, uh, in sport in Australia. So he's going to be chatting to us. I know that he went to Indrapilly. Primary school uh, or state school, as they, uh, they call it in Queensland. So um, yes, yeah, so it will be interesting to discuss with him that pathway for. I mean, we're talking about football and the lead up to the draft, but there's so many different yeah. sports um, and lots of different schools concentrating That's on, it. on and it's on swimming, cricket, different sports, so. netball,
1: you name it for both young boys and girls as well.
0: On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria,
1: this is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Paul Kennedy with you. As we look at the school that your child goes to and whether or not it determines their sporting opportunities, in particular if they show great promise. Is there a difference between public and private and what sort of pressures are put onto you as a family to go private? one 300 PK Jane's in Mount Martha and she says this is a really male dominated discussion. The big private schools do all the sports for both genders yeah. and it's not just football, please be broader in your discussion. It's a great
2: point, and I know that that's a a big thing for for schools as well, to provide equal opportunities. So, yeah, uh, it's a great point, and we'll be uh, talking about um, uh, female-dominated sports uh, very shortly.
1: Well, Claire Ferguson is a former Queensland Firebird and Australian Diamond. Claire, you've been listening to a lot of today's conversation. To become an an elite athlete, did you or your family feel any pressure to go to a particular school?
4: Um, I grew up in the country in Queensland, so I'm from Warwick, um, and all of my brothers and I started at Warwick West State School, um, which was an amazing, um, an amazing school to go to. I myself, my child's going to a school next year, and I'm sending her to our local state school because, as has already been mentioned from some of your callers, um, our public education system... For Provides a great foundation um, and a great a great start. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to go to a um, a private high school. Um, my brothers attended my my dad's old high school, which is. Nudgie College, um, which is based on the north side of Brisbane. That's a really strong rugby school, which has a lot of um, wallabies that have come out of there. My brother played for the wallabies, so he was sort of a product, I suppose, of that rugby breeding ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was fortunate to go to a, a private high school and I suppose have the opportunity to play sport in that environment. Um, and what was really fortunate for me was that I had an amazing high school netball coach. Um, she started as an 18-year-old Um, former student at our school and came back into that environment and um, ended up working at the school as a teacher Um, but she was was probably the most impactful coach in terms of my career and my passage to becoming an elite an elite netball player.
2: So, what does that tell you, Claire I've, I, And I have heard you talk very passionately about this teacher uh, and influence <laughs> on their, uh, you in coaching. Um, what does that tell you about the the connection that that young people need, regardless of what school they go to, to to, to, to have those teachers who who um, you know stoke the fire inside?
4: Yeah, I just think for any child to to be to be engaged and to be passionate about something they love, and and we're talking about you know, progression of children to, you know, the elite level of sport. But actually, what we're talking about is just sustained participation for life. That's what I'm passionate about is getting children engaged in a sport that they love, having diversity of options. And by having a a teacher, a mentor, a role model, a coach, a former student, somebody that becomes engaged within that school system and gives their time, um, which I suppose is the difference sometimes which exists between the state education system and the private yeah. education system is that the private education system has the capacity to pay for the best of the best to come back. They're reimbursed for their time. Whereas in the state education system, we're often relying on passionate volunteers who are confident and feel that they have the capacity to give back and to to contribute to the um, the ability of, of these children to yeah really learn. I mean, when we look
1: at those skills, differences and... In- divides and equity Jen's Mm. in Warrnambool and she says this message, she says just throwing something else into the mix, in regional Victoria we're seeing public schools not sending their teams to inter-school competitions and higher representative levels for player development this is due to money and time in lieu for teachers and staff to travel to regional and state events with school teams. Parents are sometimes driving their kids to these opportunities having to take time off work for their child to represent and to develop them at a higher level. My child goes to a private school here. She's a sporty kid and there's heaps of sporting opportunities. She loves sport and would be miserable at a school that didn't have sporting opportunities. I mean, you mentioned, Claire Ferguson, that you you were sort of in regional Queensland, but that idea Of just being further away from a city centre. That shouldn't come at a cost to young people's opportunity to thrive, but it feels like it Mm. is.
4: Yeah and I think that's really um that's that's sad coming from regional Victoria because I mean in the space the, in the comparison of states Victoria is closely situated to other things so a drive if you compare that to parents in Queensland some parents in Queensland are sometimes doing 3 4 hour you know round trips to get their kids to sport but yeah. I think that's where it's really essential and critical that like you were speaking before about what's happening within the state education system compared to the private education system to ensure that opportunities are still being provided. So what's happening with inter-school sport? I know when I played... Every Friday we had interschool sport in, in Warwick and every school would, would play against each other. Buses would be organised, things would yeah. be done. Um, and now I know that there's been a shift and a change. They don't have interschool school sport on a weekly basis. This is kind associated.
1: of a key thing, isn't it? I know, PK, this mm. is something that you're passionate about, but I think this is the elephant it's, in the room. It's a
2: big change. Is that the yeah. state system, Claire, sort of giving into this model, this other model that's there anyway?
4: yeah well they're having they're doing gala days now in queensland which are successful because they're run within school hours so parents don't have a commitment time yeah. from the teachers have been given so they've rechanged and structured the way that state state um, schools are doing their school sport but i think there still is a disparity that exists but i think the biggest thing that that the, the person who wrote in before was talking about it it's strained for teachers like there's yeah. a t- massive teacher shortage that exists within the state education system the fact that queensland is sort of shifting to a the the opportunity for to have flexible school hours and flexible days yeah they're the really thinking outside the week. square we, we appreci- are to be able to manage it we
1: appreciate your time yeah. and your thoughts claire thank you yeah,
2: that's No
4: worries, thank
2: you. And that is a great point. I mean, if you you take the idea of inter-school sport and raise it with the local principal, they, they will tell you, you know what? I'm struggling to get enough teachers yeah. to fill my classrooms. Schools I'm having struggling to cancel to hold on camps to staff. That's because right. they
1: can't do it. But when we talk about when Claire Ferguson, there, who's the former Firebird and Australian Diamond, spoke about just thinking outside the square, I love this message from Liz in Glen Huntley and it says, Beau Morris Secondary School is affiliated with the uh, MCC and has yeah. the most amazing sports facility. Society needs more state schools with similar affiliations. I mean, why couldn't that be a possibility? Right? Where are public." and private schools god forbid actually work together
2: (laughs) well that that was a big campaign to them in bow morris because some of the parents felt they had no um they had no sort of uh state school um options so they really fought to um to get bow morris up they thought outside the square and they got those those key partnerships so
1: james is in reservoir morning james morning what did you want to say
5: um yeah just I see my kids go to a, a government high school and I went to a private school like you know, thirty forty odd years ago, and it it just seems to me that like the difference in the culture uh, has a big bearing on just um what the school does about sport. So for example, if you walk into any pretty much any reception area at a local government school in Melbourne, you'll see trophy cabinets there, and most of the trophy cabinets will have dust on them. And there'll be shields and cups and like honour boards, but they'll all have stopped around about 1965, and it's it kind of seems like sport years ago in government schools was kind wow. of a bigger deal.
1: What a good observation!
5: Um, yeah, because and, and a really telling thing that I noticed a few years ago, my daughter made the state athletics championships in a relay team, and we thought it was a big deal, and both my partner and I from. You know private schools thought oh this is going to be a really big deal and you know the school's going to be really enthused about this so we went along that night to the the track in south melbourne to watch her and was surprised to find there was no staff from the school the high school there was like no cheer squad Um, all the kids that had to get to the event had to do so via their parents own transport Two of the kids in the relay team got stuck in traffic and missed the event. Oh. Mm. They had to pull in like two reserves at the last minute, who had no hope. So the kids ended up coming last, and they were, you know, they were a good team that, that would have had a chance. This is
1: where yeah. everything's gone wrong. You know, this uh, is what this is when we talk about this issue runs deeper, and it's been a slow degradation to yeah. make sport something that's seen as a a great opportunity, as opposed to just. Right.
2: Yeah, I think Claire was right before this. there are still things within hours um that 's probably not the the opportunity you know talk about the dusty cabinets. those were matches one where you would uh, you know be allowed to jump on a bus and go and play the local you know rival high school team. There are still sports and and i 've been to those athletic meets too. Um, Uh, at the Lakeside uh, facility there where some state schools, you know, that are really putting uh, quite a lot of time into athletics, Um, you know, they'll turn up and watch those kids dominate some private schools Mm. as well. So we know it's school by school and we don't want to, you know, don't want to say that they're all not doing the best they can. But, um, yeah, there's definitely a shift away from or the sport that we used to have, GV, I've got to stop saying the good old days. The good old days sort
1: of does feel a bit like that, Yeah, because it's not always,
4: not not true true. as well.
1: Absolutely. Nick's in Downs. Morning, Nick.
4: Good morning. Um, Yeah, I think PK hit the nail on the head before. There still is plenty of opportunities for kids to get drafted through the club system. I did a little bit of junior coaching years ago with my kids and that then in Frankston, And at the footy finals, there was always scouts there and recruiters. And also, the recruiters wouldn't be doing their job if they weren't looking everywhere Mm. far and wide and probably wouldn't keep their jobs to get every possible kid Mm. they could that's talented. Yeah, they
2: they still... The the programs exist there. If you've got access to a local club, and then you get you know get spotted and put into another, it, it cost is another issue because all these representative teams, you sort of have to fork out money for now. But I I was in a I was up in Shepparton in September and watched the girls and and boys on an equal footing. Uh, playing some good rep footy. And i recently spoken to an AFL recruiter who's been in the game for 30 years. And I said, have you ever recruited somebody or would you recruit someone just on their school form um, in these, this private school match? They said, no, you've, you've got to do well in that top under-18 competition uh, that's been around now for 30 years. You must do well in that. Otherwise, you know, because that's better than the school standard. Well, and that's lazy
1: recruiting as well. This message, guys, this runs deeper. While private schools recruit sports kids for marketing purposes and it's just lazy AFL recruiters who do it for risk management is why they run statewide competitions. Kids are stopping playing footy as a result at 15, 16 years age. More time and resources should be put back into local country clubs. And that's from Marty. Another thing, what about other sports? My kids play lacrosse. My son just competed in the national under-15 championships. Our local club is Footscray. We became involved in the lacrosse club when we went to school to promote Footscray. There are opportunities to play at an elite level and our college system in the USA. It doesn't have to be at a private school.
2: And some of those so-called uh, minor sports, you know, the ones we don't talk about all of the time, they do do a wonderful job, and they they work so hard to get word out there and try and get um, kids in, and uh, it's nice to hear that the uh, Footscray Lacrosse Club is doing well.
1: Dr Paul Larkin is a senior researcher at Victoria University and at the Maribyrnong Sports Academy. Paul, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. Are we too driven by public schools when it comes to recruiting, not just for AFL, but for cricket, for swimming, you name it, those top-tier sports that we talk about?
0: Hi, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, Bate, listening in on some of those conversations. And I think Paul probably hit the nail on the head where it's saying when we're looking at recruiting, it's not coming down to where you are or where your education was based. There's more things going into it than just what school you went to or what name is on the badge on your chest that's um, there for you so yeah i definitely think like we've probably done a lot of research in the australian football space but um yeah probably for a lot of sports it's not just we where, you, where you're competing it's kind of how you're competing and some of those other opportunities apart from just a school-based program
2: i know for a fact paul you've been investigating sort of uh, these talent pathways and, and uh, you're an expert in in um identifying young talent um what 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 does that tell you about this ongoing discussion that we we have where uh you know this this one model of private schools is really hev- heavily promoted by sometimes you know a um a light touch by by football media which is really you know the thing that most people are reading
3: yeah
0: i, th- I think there's probably several issues that are probably relating to that and you're going if it's looking for the the best interest of the kid or is in the best interest of the school in terms of the marketing and the associated um desires for them to progress their own name and their own culture i mean we're probably seeing it now across the state or even across the country at the moment is going lots more schools are investing in so-called sports academies and in terms of seeing that as one way to boost their profile or boost their name boost numbers the aim of hopefully bringing in a bit more funding for themselves and things like that. So, the amount of times I mean, I've
1: heard the word profile, the school profile be boosted is interesting in today's conversation. How much of it is it about the school's image and yeah. the money that the school's making? Lots of texts, Paul, are also referring to what you're forgetting to mention here and what no one ever talks about is it's the other kids and parents that pay, you know, subsequently pay for these scholarships and it pushes everybody's fees up. I mean, are we talking about just too much pressure to go to, say, the Maribyrnong Sports Academy? And not everyone is going to rise to the top, are they?
0: No, I mean, and that's it. If you look at, you know, the AFL coming at the moment, the draft next week, if you're looking at participation rates at under 16, 17, 18, the amount of kids around the country they're playing, but potentially only 80 to 100 are going to get picked up, you go and you're looking at a really small percentage of individuals that are going up. So kind of as... Claire was mentioning in her discussion is going, it's all about as well, promoting that lifelong investment in sport and promoting that and going, you've got the skills to stay involved and hopefully getting people that are still interested in sport, not only to participate, but you know maybe want to become the next coaches or administrators and things like that are all kind of some of the other values that sport can instill within you while you're developing. Um, and hopefully that's a bit of a focus as well. And that's one of the things at a, um, Maribyrnong, we're a state-based school. Um, And that's some of the things that we acknowledge as well there is going, you know, can we just create the best individuals that we can, knowing that obviously hopefully more go on and make it, but making sure as well that you're developing people that are going to stay involved in sport and have the education around it to know why they want to do it and the benefits of physical activity and things like that.
2: Paul, you've probably had people ask you these questions, you know, with a desperate look on their face, what, what can I do, can to, I do? To, to best support my yeah. child? What, what do you say to those people that's, you know, at the age of, forgetting the young kids now, the younger kids, you know, around that 15, 16 uh, year old age group, what, what do you say to parents? I think it's just
0: providing a supportive network for them, allowing them to go and make their mistakes um, you know, what we see is that we learn from the mistakes, from the challenges. It's knowing that, you know, not getting selected for a squad isn't the end of the world. There's other ways to go ahead and make it. And when you look at um, in other sports, especially maybe in kind of soccer environment and kind of your basketballs and other ones outside of the footy scope. You find some of the kids that do go and make it at the professional level are the ones that have had the setbacks, are the ones that weren't selected. You know, you can look back to Michael Jordan getting dropped from his high school sports team, going on to be one of the greatest players of all time. There's lots. Yeah, someone of doesn't pathways. get a lot of sleep
1: at night over that one. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's not saying as well that the number one pick's always going to be the best player as well. You know, there's lots of there's lots of examples where there's other factors that can under can underlie. Yeah. Who's going to make it to be the best? And it's just as parents being providing that supportive support structure around them to make sure that Absolutely. they're grounded
1: and doing the best that we can, especially in times like this. Text it says it costs hundreds of dollars to hire buses to take kids to sport and government schools. Just don't have the money. Dr. Paul Larkin, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it.
0: No, thank you very much. Thanks, Paul.
1: Senior Researcher at Victoria University and the Maribyrnong Sports Academy. This, isn't it ironic that most of the great football players are private schools that have come from public schools in the country talk about marketing? And another saying, Box Hill Senior Secondary College in Mont Albert is a government school that supports future potential stars and everything from AFL, tennis and basketball. That's from Sarah in Emerald.
0: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
1: This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and Paul Kennedy with you. As we talk about the opportunity your school provides for your child to succeed in sport, is there a big difference between public and private? Is there a difference too, PK, between metro and regional? And the importance that I've discovered today mm. of bringing back into school sports and for at a government level, ensuring that all public schools can participate in that.
2: Yeah, and I, I'd be really interested to hear from people specifically in the country. We're, we're getting people sent through um, uh, famous names like Anna Mears from Mount Isa and Sherelle McMahon's the other one that she's... Um, it, One of the bosses in uh, Cricket Victoria now but of course our greatest netballer of all time who came from country Victoria Um, so there are so many examples of of, uh, athletes who I believe would have grown up and and spent more time having that that, um, local sporting experience and these days of course at a very early age they would be offered the opportunity um, by these very active and uh, cashed up schools to come down and board in the city and that's there's still an option there for for some kids too um so yeah that's it's once again we'll all come back to the parents or the carers to to work out what's best and you're making it up as you go along. Oh, as we know. <laughs> We I talked about we know. that last time oh. as a parent. It's, it's your first time too. Parents, we don't know. No one knows.
1: But none of us know what we're doing. Although Sarah Stiles, the Director of the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation in Victoria, she's got some idea of what she's doing. Sarah, as someone... <laughs> <laughs> as someone that grew up in regional Victoria who lives and breathes equity within our sporting world and the opportunities around sport, are we kind of moving towards a system here that makes you feel uncomfortable
6: (laughs) i should say as a mum of a four-year-old i also don't know what i'm doing over there but um you know when i start to hear about this with scholarships i think about it in terms of like that one-on-one the parents sitting down with that child thinking about what's best for them and then there's the version of how do we think about this as a system because those parents who have got that opportunity you know what what a great opportunity for that child um, and that's that shouldn't be something that gets taken away from them and I'll come back to that. But, um, you know, ultimately we need to be thinking about what is happening here at a system and why is it that there is such a difference in these education experiences that everyone's like, oh, hang on, I'm going to move out of home and I'm going to go take this because it is so much quote-unquote better than what I can get in my hometown. And, you know, so what can we be doing to actually change that? Mm. But when we think about scholarships and perhaps we'll girls start to get more scholarships, sport-based scholarships, to come and access some of these private schools, it actually reminds me of something called Title IX in the US, which for the last 50 years has been in place to stop gender-based discrimination in education settings. So where this particularly played out, and one of the ways this is considered most impactful, is in sports. And so pretty much a bit over 50 years ago, all of a sudden, if you're giving out 80 scholarships to your American football team, guess what? You need to go find 80 um, scholarships to give to female athletes. And so to to make sure there is no gender-based difference in how they're actually investing in their students. If you want to know one of the most powerful reasons America dominates in world sport, it's that. So,
2: What are you hearing then from, from schools today in the last few years? I mean, it's, it's really been a revolution in the last five to ten years in club sports, particularly those ones that I'm involved in, football and cricket. I've never seen anything like it, more opportunities for girls and girls' teams and promotion of female sport. Are you, what are you hearing about the school stuff? Mm. So if I think
6: about the school stuff, what are we hearing? we're hearing an explosion of opportunities for girls to play sports that they've historically been excluded from. Mm. Um, And, you know, we know that particularly, like, you know, you think the APS schools, they have some really strong competitions and have the um, resources and have large groups of students that they're able to draw their teams from. And so, you know, is that something that are those opportunities evenly being shared to, you know, say, a girl who was coming from Robin Bale or a girl who's coming from Mallacoota or something like that. Mm. And I think we'd be kidding ourselves to say that would be the same. And that's where, and I heard just as we were coming on, the role of inter-school sports. You know, I think about an organisation of schools like School Sport Victoria and the great work they do in bringing opportunities to kids to be able to play. But that's possibly, you know, girls getting to play footy in a one-day inter-school competition as opposed to other girls potentially mm. getting to play a, you know, competition over a number
1: of months. There's a message here from Ian. It says there's plenty of state schools that are running private sports academies, for example, at Bendigo South East College. And what I find interesting, Sarah Stiles, when we talk about opportunities in regional Victoria and we think outside sport for a sec uh, for a moment and we talk about almost decentralisation and the importance of big business or government um, departments to open up in regional Victoria. If there is a rise now... In in sports academies opening up. How important is it for some of these to be placed in Bendigo or Ballarat? So not only can the kids stay, but maybe other kids and families move.
6: Mm, I love that idea. I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? How do we go to where the talent is as opposed to expecting the talent to come to us? There's something in this, and Paul touched on it a little bit in your last call. Though, like, we've got to remember these are still kids. hmm Um, and what is the most important thing when kids are playing sport is that they're having fun. Yeah. And so, you know, for the overwhelming majority of kids who are playing sport, you know, what did Paul say? You know, how do we work on the skills to keep them involved and active through their lives? A very small percentage of people are going to go play elite sport. A very small percentage is going to be our next Olympians, as much as more people might want to do that. I think what I want to know is how do we just get kids active? Yeah. And stay active as opposed to kind of to funneling too many people down a path that, let's be honest, very few people actually get a long career out of being an elite athlete.
1: Well, what's confronting today is discovering that it is actually just access to participating mm. is getting harder and, and harder for people. It's always great to speak with you, Sarah. Thanks so much.
6: Yeah. Thanks
1: so much. Sarah Styles, the Director for the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation in Victoria.
2: And my experience is that the primary school kids, they, they're still getting that. So maybe at primary school level with their budgets and maybe um, school sizes and all the rest of it can still provide that inter-school sport. My kids in primary school did have uh, quite a, a lot of those days where they play the rival schools. It's high school where they seem to be getting squeezed.
1: You're on the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and Paul Kennedy with you. As we look at the opportunities your school does or doesn't give your child if you want them to go on and succeed and participate in sport at an elite level. Well, someone who knows this all too well is Kieran Perkins. He, of course, is an Olympic swimmer and now the CEO of the Australian Sports Commission. Kieran, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. Have you seen a big difference just in your lifetime of the opportunities that are given to kids to go beyond, dependent on the school that they go to?
7: Oh, look, absolutely. I think the um, the reality is that we've had an enormous number of different um, social shifts um, over time that have eked away at these things. And it's, you know, it's always a, a challenging one because you couldn't put your finger on a single point and say, oh, just because of that only this has happened. But, you know, over, over the uh, too many decades now, I've been involved in sport, you know, we have schools that are losing access to facilities. We're yeah. seeing less and less community sport facilities. We're seeing school curricula that's being um, pressed and um, unfortunately sport isn't seen as being um, necessarily a prioritised utilisation of, of, of students' time. Parents that are working both, or both working multiple jobs don't have the ability and capacity to drive kids around and, and give up their own... Time to to support that, and and the list goes on. And I think you know, um, it's it's definitely the right conversation for us to be having. And I, I was listening to the last comments that Sarah was making, and, and and agree that you know, as we, as we look to address what is it that sport should be in this country, and how we're actually giving um, people the opportunity to engage, the what's really the most important part has got to be the front of the mind and. While we love elite sport in this country, and we need to continue to support elite sport, um, the reality is is that the community and the vast majority of Australians, at exponentially high proportions, um, uh, are affected by what goes on um, at the at the grassroots level, and that's where our
2: focus should be. When you have these discussions, Karen, do you, do you think back to Indrapilly State School? Like, what's mm. you know what, what's changed from your personal experience?
7: Well look, it depends right so Indrapilly State School is still a great place to um be involved in sport they've got a swimming pool they've got ovals they've they're able to provide that but I think you know we we uh we, we struggle with the uh, the conversation more broadly because there is just so much variability i mean you you I live in Melbourne now and you know i I've, I've been uh uh, marveling at some new schools that are opening up that are that are essentially um, built into high rise or, or multi story um, high density environments mm. and you know there's no there's no football field there, there's no yeah. cricket pitch there, they're, they're they're not able to engage with that. So then the question is as well, how is it facilitated more broadly to to allow for that? And there are there are obviously an enormous volume of very good examples. I mean, at the Australian Sports Commission, one of the programs we deliver is the Sporting Schools Program. And, you know, we've, we, we this year had our 10 millionth, I think it was, um, child that was involved in in, in programs in after-school um, delivery by local sporting clubs, which is, you know, examples of way these things have evolved. But, you know, I acknowledge that there is still that yeah. disconnect between...
1: And it's an interesting concept, Kieran Perkins, isn't it, to think about sport as everybody's responsibility within the community. So if we're talking about schools maybe, like I went to a a high school that didn't have a footy field. I had one basketball court to share between Year 9 to Year Twelves. or if new schools are being built in high rises, that there should be community access to other sporting facilities. But then on the flip side, if you're at an incredible school that has multiple pools and great basketball courts and football grounds then they should be somehow made available to others as well do we need to see facilities and open up access in a different way kira
7: oh look i think you know this has been actually generationally one of the perennial challenges um you know every every uh i don't know what the cycle of years is but People start asking the question again about unlocking the school gate, and and, and it, there is no doubt that it is a big um, a big challenge for us, and it's it's a challenge because schools are not equipped generally. To be able to provide public access to their facilities, um, you know, because it's not just a matter of opening up the door. It's uh, okay. How do we manage? How do we manage trash? How do we manage the the yeah. energy costs? How do we manage the wear and tear and maintenance and all of those sorts of things? Because I think you'd find many principals across our public school system would tell you we can't afford to keep our um, classrooms. Well serviced, let alone open the doors outside hours. People coming <laughs> yeah. out of ours and cause these these dramas, right? So it it needs state, territory, and federal governments to work together. And I, I attended only last week um, a meeting of the state and federal sports ministers where this exact conversation was was brought forward, and it's chipping away at some of the perceptions along along the the, the realm as well. Because for me personally, I think one of the things the sports bubble doesn't often acknowledge and needs to find ways to deal with is that we think and we know sport has great benefits for everybody you know if you if you love sport and you play sport you know it makes you socially more engaged mentally healthier physically healthier it's great for your kids and all of that sort of stuff the reality though is that generationally the experience that most people have when they get involved in sport actually isn't quite self that self-affirming a lot of people come out the other side of it which is why we see the big participation drop-offs through the teenage years where they go look okay i had some fun times in there but actually mostly it was it was it was difficult it was degrading i never really felt like um after i'd engaged that i was better off for the experience and, and i'd had fun and so those people now make the decisions around all of these topics that we're talking about and if their lived experience isn't as positive as it should have been how much discretionary effort can we get from them to make these sorts of calls so i think we've got to help them to see all the different ways that sport can be delivered in a positive engaging fun uplifting way that does positively impact their community and and get their advocacy to help support that and it's 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 a it's a broader challenge, but it's also an opportunity and we, we we do a lot of work in the commission around education to
1: help with that as well. Kieran Perkins, it's been great to speak with you. Thanks so much for finding some time.
7: No, absolute pleasure, thank you.
1: Olympic swimmer, the CEO of the Australian Sports Commission. It's a big wide lens, you know, what starts out as a relatively small conversation, PK, around better opportunity, public or private. The AFL draft is on Monday. We're going to see just a plethora of private school kids. But then once you broaden that out and you realise that families and schools can't afford buses to get to inter-school sports, that Mm. opportunities are being lost left, right and centre. And as Kieran Perkins just said, you know, we need to make sure that the people that are making the decisions are making the right decisions and using their power
2: correctly. Yeah, and the good uh, part of these conversations that you're leading Rochelle is that you know I am in this world constantly and having conversations constantly about this I live in sport and I learned a lot in the, in the past hour listening to our to our guests and experts so more talk the better.
1: If you're really quick Greg's in Millawa hi Greg
2: oh g'day look uh, thanks for the conversation and uh, every
5: bit of it of the uh, what I've heard heard has resonated with me miller was in the middle of nowhere if you know it we're between wangaratta and and uh larger towns but we've got a squash court and our squash court was just i've just come away from a session today with uh 20 20 odd kids having a hit through the local school using that facility and it's something that I think
1: uh, everyone. Ah, oh, you're doing what there. we were Can't saying you? that groups should do, is opening up your squash court to the local yeah. school. Well, congratulations to you and to your local squash club there in Millawar, Greg. Thank you. Paul Kennedy, as always, thank you. Thanks, Rochelle. The Conversation Hour is a podcast, so if you missed the beginning of today's program or you want to go back and listen to it, you want to share it with people at your school or at your local club, go to the ABC Listen app, download and subscribe The Conversation Hour. Have a wonderful week we can take care and we'll speak soon